Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of HR Nightmares. If you like what you're hearing on any or all of these episodes, make sure that you're hitting subscribe and you're following us on YouTube and anywhere that you listen to your podcast. Um, this is going to be a fun day. We got like a lot to cover. Um, so I'm Lisa Leith, and uh, I'm the chief people officer at Vanica, also the founder of Leith HR Group. And I'm here with the OGs. You want to introduce yourself? Sure. Beth Looney. Amy Conway. And we have a really special guest. This is a um, longtime friend of mine, Rebecca, uh, Rebecca Reby, and she has become this really successful immigration attorney with Ogletree Deacons um, out in Raleigh, North Carolina. And um, this is such an awesome, timely conversation that we're having with you, smart lady, um, because Nobody really understands that there's like this lottery coming up in March. And so we want to understand all the ins and outs and things, um, not just from an HR perspective, but also like if we have employees listening um, and they're having to like, you know, th there's lots of open roles around them and they're like banging their head. Why doesn't my manager find somebody to like work? I'm having to do all this extra work or your manager listening um, and you're thinking I can't fill specific roles. There's a, this whole talent pool out there um, of people who, who want to work. And um, they just need a visa. So you're going to help us through that process. But why don't you introduce yourself and give us your background on how you got into immigration in the first place? Um, yeah. So I'm Rebecca Reby, as Lisa mentioned. And we actually met when I was her kid's teacher. So that was my my kind of first um, step in life after I graduated from uh, UNC Chapel Hill. Um, then went on to go to law school at UNC Chapel Hill as well. And since my second um, year in law school, I've actually been working for Ogletree Deacon. So I've been there ever since, since I graduated, and just really enjoying the diversity that the immigration field has to offer. Like, it's so much fun. You get these little um, wins every day. You're helping people kind of realize their dream and, and either uh, get their work authorization for the first time or just kind of keep working with a company that they've been with for a while. Um, so super rewarding. And as Lisa mentioned... Um, there's, this is a super, um, relevant season right now because the H-1B lottery is coming up, which is the one time a year that, um, employers can petition for brand new H-1B visas mm -hmm. for employees or, or potential employees. Okay. Before we get into all like the serious stuff, can you just tell us how, like your personal background with immigration and, um, and where you were born and how you got here? Oh, yes. So yeah, mm -hmm. I definitely... There's a reason I had an interest in immigration law and kind of went into that. So I was actually born in Sweden. Uh, my whole family going way back is all Swedish. Uh, we initially moved to the U.S., to California, when I was three um, and came on. And my dad came on an H-1B visa, which is what we will be talking about yeah. today. Oh, and cool. so me, I was on a H-4 visa, which is the dependent that can come mm -hmm. along with H-1B and he worked for um, a company in California um, for about five years. And then we decided it was time to move back. Spent my kind of middle high school years in Sweden and then moved back here to Wilmington um, on basically during my senior year of high school. So November, my senior year of high school, which was... Um, That's, <laughs> That's really yeah. tough. Oh, my gosh. Not just like moving to Socially, a different state, like, but like a whole other country. New country. Exactly. New, new country, new culture. New high school, my senior year. Um, so I joined right after Thanksgiving break. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> oh, in the middle of the year? In the middle of the year. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the new um, kid. 
But yeah, I really thought it was so special how when we were going through that process for the second time, we came on an H-1B again, um, how the the immigration attorney at that time helped us and helped us understand as, as well as five years later when we started getting or applying for the green card, um, which you can do uh, from an H-1B because it's a dual intent visa. Mm-hmm. Um, the same thing, the immigration attorney was very attentive and, and explained the process to us. And it's just something that I thought like, oh, that's an interesting job. And I don't think it was until I actually was like through my first year in law school that I realized like, oh, this is a path I can take um, that seems interesting. So I just happened to to go to the career fair one night and meet one of the, it's actually funny, I sit in her office now because um, she went on to bigger, better things. And, and so we were super sad to have lost her, but um, funnily enough, I ended up getting her same office and she kind of introduced me to, to Ogletree and connected me to the right people and got to do my, my 2L summer there and have stayed with the same team ever since and worked part-time through, through law school, through the end of law school, and then came on full-time as soon as I could. That's great. And just been going ever since. So, so it just kind of organically happened for me. And, and I think that knowing what it's like to go through it really helps me connect with with some of the the beneficiaries that are yeah. having to go through it themselves well just having that personal experience i would think you just are able to provide them with a lot of empathy and understanding mm-hmm. of just the process can be long and drawn out and it could be stressful sometimes when deadlines are coming oh gosh, yeah. and yeah you want to stay in the country yeah and like they could potentially kick you out yes yeah. and we do you know we do this every day and we see case after case and it become 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 a little detached because for us it's the next petition the next this so it's great to have that reminder like when you're talking to them like hey you know I understand what you're going through and we all do but but especially like I love that I can really relate to them and and even tell them my story and make them just feel comfortable that you know I I know it's frustrating I know it sucks when USCI lost your petition and we can't do anything about it because because they're not answering our emails, but like I promise you, we're, we're tr- yeah. So there's a lot of formalities and a lot of governmental mishmash that you have to navigate, which can be super frustrating. Um, we can handle a lot of it because we do this every day and we know the loopholes to find someone to contact and and we have all those resources available to us, which does make it better. But but definitely, it's easy to get frustrated when. You know, it's like, hey, this is a this has a two year processing time. Like, you just you just have to wait. Um, mm-hmm. so. Back in the day, I had uh, I had a company long long ago, and we hired H one B visa folks for engineering, mm-hmm. and we thought we could handle it by ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> the application is like, yay, hi! And so we we hired an attorney. So is that your advice if you're thinking about that to not do it alone and really get some legal counsel? Absolutely. So a lot of the one reason a lot of people are afraid to even um, go into this area of hire of sponsoring employees, whether it's H-1B or or any other employee, is because it is complex. It's a it's a complex application. There's a lot of um, a lot of specific things that have to uh, have to be put correctly in the application. And that can be hard to do if you're doing it alone. Mm -hmm. Um, When you seek support from attorneys like us, we do this every day. So we know exactly what fields on the form have to be filled out? What fields can we skip? Um, what evidence do we have to provide? What evidence can we skip? Um, really, when you go on and you look and you try to do this yourself, you're going to find the forms that you need to fill out 
but you're going to find very little information, at least from USAIS, on what you sh- what evidence you should be accompanying with the form to be successful on the first try. Um, sure, there's forums where everybody's giving their <laughs> their opinion of what they did. It's not and- legal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which, speaking of, before we pepper yeah, you with a million that. questions, you want to give a disclaimer? Yes. Just, you know, to be clear, this is all we're here to educate about the H-1B process as well as, you know, just having a robust immigration program for your company in general. Um, none of this should be taken specifically as legal advice for, for your company or your employees. If you do have an employee that you identify, I think could benefit from some of this. Um, I do ask you or encourage you to seek out legal counsel. And if you want to contact me and Ogletree, we'd be happy, happy to help you out. Um, yeah. And we'll make sure to put all your contact information and we'll talk about your contact information at the end of the episode and we'll pump it out there with all our social posts of this episode. But great. Yeah. With what? anything we talk about. Yeah, this, this is, is just advice. advice. <laughs> yes. Do not take it all. And it's super free. Yeah. It's free. super good. It's super, super good. good. Contact an expert. Yeah. So one thing I was surprised going through the going through that process long ago was the fact that um, the government sets the wage. So we that was a real hard thing for us. So we had our engineers making a certain amount of money. And it was lower than what the government stipulated that we could not hire for. Mm. And it, so we had to change everybody's salary. Every, the people that worked there were like, woohoo, yeah. we're not more <laughs> yeah. right. You know, and they were like, this is great, a big raise. So can you explain a little bit about that, about the setting the wage? Because I thought that that was really surprising. And it was another cost that we didn't factor in mm. when we were deciding to bring on somebody. Absolutely. Yes. So to get an H-1B, the employee does have to be making what's called a prevailing wage in their area. So generally, these they're divided into into areas. It's usually usually you can kind of count by county. Sometimes it's a little more complex, especially if you're getting up to like New York City and stuff, where where it's um, really densely populated. But but there's basically a a registry of all these um, these areas that have their in unique prevailing wages. And there's four levels. So there's one, two, three, four, and basically level one is entry level. You are, you know, assisting, you're still learning up to level four. You're really, you're managing, um, you're really kind of risen to the, to the top experience in your field and you should be paid that way as well. So the reason this exists is because um, the U.S. government doesn't, didn't want the H-1B visas being used to try to hire cheaper labor by using foreign labor. So they wanted to uh, both be kind to you know the foreigners, and they should be paid for the work they're doing at the same rate as any, anyone else. As well as they wanted to protect American job or American workers getting mm-hmm. the jobs and not um, handing those out to someone else at a low wage just because they'll accept it because they like get to stay in the country. To be exactly. Like, Come on, and then right. yeah. your labor cost. Yeah, exactly. That's actually a good safeguard, to mm-hmm. be honest. Yeah, and so, there's many places that have. I mean, I don't know that much about. Our system, you know, I worked for a company for a long time. We didn't do a lot of sponsorships, but we had stores in Canada. So we dealt with Canadian laws and theirs was Mm -hmm. one like you have to prove that there's not a Canadian citizen who could do that job as equally good Mm -hmm. before we like sent someone up there. Like when we were opening those stores, we couldn't just take all of our people up there and put them in stores, which is usually how we open stores in the States. Yeah, because they know what they're doing. Correct. And they it, like we had the... to literally make a case. Like so, there were specific jobs that were like, no, we do need to bring someone in to do yeah. this. But yeah. for the most part, yeah. 
So that exact And it was the same thing to protect kind of Canadian workers because the wages are different. Even though it's an American-based company, Mm -hmm. you then have to follow. You have to follow. Yeah, wherever you are, you have to follow the laws of where you're located. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And the U.S. has that same process or very similar, the same idea for permanent residency, Mm -hmm. for certain types of permanent residency um, for basically specialized workers who have like a bachelor's degree um, or are just skilled workers. Um, You do have to go through a, it's a permanent labor certification process. It's called PERM for short, and you do a labor test. So you run recruitment for the role um, to show that there is no American in this area willing to do this job at this wage. Mm And that's why we're hiring this person. Mm. Um, so very similar yeah. uh, process that we have, but it is in the immigrant visa um, kind of scenario okay. rather than this um, H-1B yeah. non-immigrant. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I my main question I always have is like, is there a certain country that people are more likely to get a visa from? Like if I'm from India, am I screwed? Or if I'm from Canada, am I good? Like what? what which countries are, are there preferences? Preferred countries or which I, one's the easiest to get I could to get write you a dissertation on this. Okay. <laughs> so for, for H-1Bs, the short answer is no. The There's a quota each year, and that's why, you know, we have this lottery that I'm sure we'll get into. Um, and so there's 65,000 H-1B visas available with an extra 20,000 available for those with U.S. master's degrees. Mm. So that does not, that quota is the same no matter where you where you are from. When was the last time that changed? Um, I believe it was early 2000s. There was a, so there was a, a period in the late, um, n- late 20th century, early two- 2000s, where um, it actually went up for a little bit through the American Competitiveness and Labor Act. Um, if I'm <laughs> saying that right, it's fine. we trust. <laughs> don't correct. say, yeah, don't it's check fine. it. It sounds don't right. Nobody, <laughs> nobody listening is going to Google it. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. So it went up for a while um, to a couple or to over a hundred thousand, and then came back down again. Um, so it's been like that for for quite a while. I think maybe 2014 or so, 10 years or so. It's been at that same level, and the the H1B lottery, this this new kind of newish. Um, quota lottery that they've been implementing has only been in place, I believe, since 2013. So actually, when I came um, here my with my dad on his H-1B, we did not take part in the lottery because it was the last year that they, they didn't do the lottery um, uh, before. So it was fiscal year 2013 that we came. And at that point, you just had to file it as soon as the filing window opened. And if you were the first either 65 or the extra 20 to file, then you got it. You're good to go. Um, but I think they realized because the filing, the the window they had, um, they would basically track when they met the quota. So a couple years prior to 20, like, again, early 2000s, it was taking maybe two months to meet the quota. And then it was taking a month and a half. And then it was taking a month. And then I think 2012, it took a week and a half. Mm. So... My guess is, you know, that they realized like, okay, eventually we're going to get every single case on day one of opening the, right. the filing window. And that's not going to be, we can't figure out, yeah, you know, everyone mailed there. it on day one who gets, who gets it. So, so they started this lottery, um, which has also kind of progressed into it used to be, you filed your entire petition and you either get, you get selected or you don't. Now they've actually moved over to a, re- a pre-registration system. So you don't have to give quite as much info and you don't have I to file a whole petition. I think we had to do petition. the whole petition yeah. before. Yeah. Yeah. That's this, the, 
I believe the the registration has only been around for for about three or four years now, so it's it's very fairly new. Um, I think a good question would be, I mean, this might not be your expertise, but our maybe we can decide. But so <laughs> if we're thinking about doing this, like, why would it be important for us to look, you know, to foreign countries for some of those workers? Like, what do you think some of the benefits would be for that? Well, I think some of the benefits are that right now the the labor market, there just aren't enough American workers in specialized occupations. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Lisa's shared some, some stats with me that I thought were, were super interesting, but there's just, if you're hiring, you're looking for skilled workers, especially in, in engineering and data and, and software and stuff like that. There just aren't enough people to fill the roles. And so you have people that might already be in the country looking for jobs and then they might be a perfect fit for your company, but just because you don't you don't know the visa process and you're not offering it, you're missing out on that talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. it was just interesting when you said the number and when you think about it, you know, sixty five plus another twenty. I mean, that is not a lot of individuals. And that's when you think been of taken like for twenty years during the Great yeah. Resignation, like one point four million people a month were like quitting jobs, and we've got eighty thousand. So, well, just where we're sitting in New Hanover yeah. County, North Carolina, I think this is what we were talking about. I had recently um, heard from a regional economist that said if you took every body, like literally every human that was of working age and capable and stuck them in every open role in New Hanover County, you still would have something like, what did I tell you? It was like thousands, tens of thousands of openings. Open still. jobs. Um, yeah. So we just, yeah, there's a lot of openings. We can't get them filled. And these are people who want to work and they want to live the American dream. Mm. So, it was, yeah. It was such a rewarding thing for us to do. I'm talking so much about me, but um, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, so, it's, 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 like, yeah. it's like, yeah, it's great. It was so amazing. So the person that we hired was an engineer and in he's Romanian. Um, now is an American because we sponsored his green card. Oh, so that was amazing. really yeah. just a huge... Oh, heart mush. But um, he came with such experience. The engineering degree that he had was like worth a PhD level. And it was just his bachelor's. And then he went on to get further education. He was probably one of the smartest people I've ever met. And so he came over and it was just such a great experience that we then opened it up to other engineering um, folks. And we did some people from the Philippines. And it was just a really cool experience. Mm -hmm. Like it was just really fun and cool. Yeah, and then just just finding candidates, too. Like, there have been studies made. People are Googling companies in Wilmington or companies in Raleigh that sponsor visas Mm -hmm. because they're already maybe here on an H-1B, and they are unhappy with their job. They don't feel like they're they're, uh, valued, and they want to switch. Because they'll have to go home if they don't get something. Exactly. So they want to switch their job. But, you know, they need to they need to transfer their visa. And and by the way, if you, if it's an individual that already has an H-1B and has been counted in the lottery once, you don't have to go through the lottery again. We can have that visa transferred if using if you use premium processing, which is a service that USAS offers for an additional fee that brings it down to a 15 day USAS processing time. So it's also not necessarily a lengthy um process to get someone who maybe is working for a different company or an H-1B to come join your company. And again, because their their visa is t- or their status in the U.S. is tied to your company, they're only going to look at your company, accept a job if they're interested in staying with you long term. You know, they're not going to come and then quit after a week or a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a they're huge only investment. Go- yeah, they're only yeah. going to accept that position if they feel like this is a company I want to work with. I want them to sponsor me and I, you know, I want to build a long term relationship with them. Um, just because of the nature of how your H-1B visa is tied to that company. 
But, I mean, let's be honest. It's not really that much money. I see what y'all out there are spending on, like, sign-on bonuses. For Christ's sake, like, the Burger King on Market Street is paying $500. Yeah. So, like, I mean, how much is this gonna... miscellaneous, like, employee yeah. lunches. Sometimes I'm like, how this much do we spend on that pure silliness. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, how much are we going to spend I, on I this? I think we, sometimes do it's it. less about the money and more about the hoops and the paperwork. And do they have someone internally that can, like, take on that process, right? So we have a lot of companies in town that are smaller companies that maybe need our help. Mm-hmm. Um, but smaller companies, mid-side companies, they only have, you know— so many resources internally and if they feel like this is a huge process and undertaking it just feels like another process and maybe they don't know enough about it and it just feels or like just they can't so do daunting it and so i think that's the, yeah. you know what we can help is kind of break it down so it doesn't feel like that overwhelming of a process and also with anything it takes you know some time up front but then we know how to do it we understand it and we get a really positive outcome with this wonderful employee who's Heck successful yeah. in our company and we fill a gap of skill that we needed. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes it's about the lack of education around what the process looks like. So how much is it going to cost and how are you going to help us make it easy? Um, <laughs> yeah. so, well, easy. So the, <laughs> easy. No, it really, I mean, it becomes easy because mm-hmm. we do this, we do this every day. Like we turn these out and obviously give them, give each I of like them the, turn them out. <laughs> okay. give, them, give them each the attention they need. But ultimately we're doing this so much that for us, we know exactly, we look at your, your company and your employee and know exactly how to, um, to tailor this p- petition so that it has the best chance of success. And, and the, the base USAS filing fee for, for an H1B is only uh, $460. Now, Depending on on the company and whether this is the the first H one B the the company is getting for the employee, there are just there's a a um, there's, it's called the Aquia fee. It's basically an administrative USAS fee that can range up to fifteen hundred dollars, but it also gets less if you have if you're employees. Um, if you have there's a, a, a whole list of exceptions, so we kind of look into that for you. Um, there's also a fraud prevention fee of five hundred dollars that gets added. But oh, that's really only it for the filing fees. So we're and at like three thousand bucks, twenty five hundred attorneys fees. Some yeah, attorneys and then exactly. Fees. So what you would look at, you know, with regular processing, the the, the kicker is the premium processing, which is an additional twenty five hundred to USAS. That has been twenty five hundred for forever. Um, but yeah, without that, so you can add twenty five hundred on, but. You're looking at maybe about six thousand for yeah. a, an H one B that lasts you uh, three years. I mean, it's a no brainer to get Plus a also, great employee that can do the specialty yeah. role. And it's a for specialty role. It was just the best thing that we did for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it's an investment for sure. Yeah, kind yeah. of. I don't know, broaden the base and get some international people in. And yeah, yeah. It was diversify really your workforce yeah. a little bit. It was right. A really, it was really super rewarding. So. Yeah, and. Um, Oh, what was I going to say? Um, the oh, the the prevailing wage that you were mentioning that mm-hmm. can add a cost. Um, it can, but most most or usually the prevailing wage is it's set to be kind of the average wage that that is paid for the right. for the incoming yeah. and 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 it's rising levels. Like time levels. to do some comp benchmarking. Well, and that's see what the we're undercutters paying our people. Yeah. And, I, and I was like, we're not yeah. And then finally got the yeah to un- unleash it. So, so it's actually yeah. funny because I was um uh, hanging out with my sister this morning and I was like, do you want to look up your prevailing wage? <laughs> 
So we looked hers up for both hers, her jobs. And, Is she at um, at least? She was actually, she was at one of them and then under on the other. But she, her job, she's a student still in their part-time job. So okay. it's a little different, but it was funny. Um, that's a kind of fun book to have. That's fun. I want to go through that yeah no it's just yeah i already drink she'll open up the revealing with this podcast <laughs> do you want to know what so don't come like, to I'm, me next so you like, can ask about your prevailing ways. Yeah. yeah um no it's actually very fascinating so the um department of labor has basically created codes for every thinkable job i mean i was wondering about that like are yeah. they all there they're 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 pretty much all there okay. and then if if it's not there, there's always there's like an engineering all other mm-hmm. or like that's what you know, we were engineering yeah. all other. <laughs> all I was other. like, oh crap. <laughs> yeah, it's called an umbrella code to just kind of cover anything that's yeah. not there. But I mean, um, like for example, my sister she works um, for a boutique and she does their online sales. Like she records them and then packages them and ships them out. And there was literally a code that was like inventory and sales um, clerk or shipping clerks. And the job duties were like her to a T. Oh, okay. And so they get specific. That's yeah. okay. Um, and so that's kind of that's another service we do when we when we prepare an H one B petition for someone is we look at the job duties like really to initiate this process. All we get from the employer is the wage, the job duties, the employee's CV. Like that's about it. And then we kind of go from there and look at okay, what's the prevailing wage? Um, to do that, we have to figure out what job code is this. We look at the job description. We know most of these codes off the top of our head. Like, this is going to be that. Um, it's pretty rare that there's a job that stumps us that we hmm. need to, like, go look looking for. And then so we look at the prevailing wage and we say, you know what? You're all good to go. Like, they have the the related degree they need. They have the prevailing wages met. Like, this is going to be be a solid H-1B case. Or we'll come back and say, hey, you need to pay him. <laughs> like, in best case, <laughs> you need to pay him a little more. And then, and then you'll be good to go. Yeah. Let me play something back to you and you can say yes or no, I got it. Um, so you can sponsor somebody that already has an H-1B anytime throughout the year, but if someone needs a new H-1B, now's the time to open your hard to fill roles and say, I'll sponsor somebody because we got to get that person in the mix for the lottery for those 65,000 plus 20,000 if they got a master's degree in the U.S. Um, for those H-1B visas right now. Right now. Open your roles. If you got hard to fill roles, post them and and say on LinkedIn, like there's a checkbox, right? Mm. That says Mm -hmm. like, I will accept people that require sponsorship. Yep. So open it up. Let's try it. Mm -hmm. And call Rebecca. And again, just because you you check that box doesn't mean you're obligated to sponsor them. Yeah. Right. It just means you're going to look at candidates who need that, right? And consider them in the mix. Exactly. So yes, that's correct. For someone who already has an H-1B except in very rare cases where perhaps their H-1B was with, was, didn't go through the cap. So it was, for example, uh, nonprofit entities, some of them are exempt from the cap. Hmm. But as long as your employee has an H-1B that has been counted against the cap sometime in the past couple of years, they can transfer that to you without going through the lottery process. For an employee who is maybe on a different type of visa already in the U.S. or someone coming just from abroad who has not come to the U.S. in a status yet, you do have to go through the H-1B quota lottery. And lucky for us, <laughs> it's coming up. It is So the registration period is March 1st through March 17th. Mm. So it is coming up quickly. So it's really coming up. Yes. Mm-hmm. Luckily, the registration um, registration for the lottery is super simple nowadays. They've really kind of optimized it. There's very little information, kind of what I mentioned earlier, um, job descriptions, kind of the credentials of the employee, um, the offered wage, 
And then um, what happens is the company makes an account, super easy account. It's like password security questions, no info or anything needed about your company. We make an account. We put in all the info about your company that you send through us to, through a questionnaire. We submit the registration. It's a fairly simple process. In late March, beginning of April, um, USA will, will announce who was selected in the lottery. That's pretty quick. Yes. Yeah. So, it, so what happens if you don't get selected? If you don't get selected, that's when it really is. It comes, you know, case by case basis. So if it's someone who's not here on a, on a visa yet, they either have to wait and try again next year or we can look into other types of um, visas. There's it's alphabet soup. You know, there's like A through Z of different visas. Um, and so, yeah, we, we're, we don't just do H-1Bs. We do. We do very many, and that's something, you know, we can offer. You, you just kind of give cool. us, here's our candidate, here's the job. What visa can they get? Help. Um, and kind of going back to what Lisa was asking earlier, too, there, there are special visas that only Canadians, Mexicans, um, Australians. Uh, uh, there's special H-1B1 visas for Chilean and Singaporean citizens. So it, there's all like, the, yeah. like that seems it's a little just, like okay. right? yeah. that the U.S. government has <laughs> made Canada, yeah. Mexico, you kind of get because yeah. we share land, but yeah. like the others, yeah, um, <laughs> somebody negotiated some something along the way, right. yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, and then yeah, there's I mean, I could keep naming different scenarios of when you could get a, dif a different type of visa that you might not even realize, like. Oh, your company is ultimately owned by a Spanish owner, then you can get an E. Like, great news. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> Look at this. This is why you need to hire the professional. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know this right um, away. That's exactly. amazing. So, um, I've completely lost track of what I was, <laughs> where I started. No, We're just so like, wow, the country yeah. cool. Well, there's um, just so many nuances to it. It shows, you know, I said I have no expertise in this area. If a company asked me how we go about this, I would have to phone several friends yeah like it's just not something I've really dealt with it sounds like Beth you've dealt with it a little bit um but that is so important just to like I think our HR folks that are out there listening if this is something you're interested in an option it's like just go research and get more information about it and like find an expert right like yeah. Rebecca or Rebecca. someone in that field um that can really help you with that and it's such a smart idea because it opens up your the likelihood of filling those roles, especially those hard to fill roles. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. you know it's like just it's a great option. You know, well let's talk about this. Um, we've got a lot of furniture manufacturers, food processing plants, um, like agriculture related industries and plants, and they. I mean, damn, I can't even find a software engineer. You know, I can't find somebody to slice up a bunch of smoked, you know, salmon. <laughs> In a food processing plant. Sweet potatoes. So, uh, sweet potatoes and the biggest sweet potatoes. <laughs> Inside joke, I guess. Um, <laughs> but, uh, like, how can the visa process help, um, you know, industries that really struggle to find um, uh, Americans who are here? But maybe, uh, like, if you, could, if you could bring in some other talent, like, how, how can we use the visa process to fill some roles yeah. on the front lines? Yes, yeah, so there's there's a couple visas that are that are more fit for those kinds of roles. It might not be necessarily H one B. That's a that's the best fit. Because again, I don't know if I've ever you know made this clear, but the H one B 
the biggest crux of that one is that the role needs to the duties of the role to be reasonably performed need to require a bachelor's degree in a related field. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of what you're having to prove to the government. So for other roles where maybe that's not a good fit, um, there's, for example, a special type of visa for seasonal agricultural workers. Mm -hmm. Um, So that can be a fit. There's visas for trainees to come for interns Um, for uh, researchers, for scholars. I mean, there's just, there's really endless opportunities. And if you have, you know, this need, that's kind of what we specialize in. You come and you tell us your need, you tell us what you need to fill it. And we, you know, usually we'll know right off the top of our head, this type of visa is what we're going to look into. So for something like that, for an agricultural big job fill, would the employer need to know the people, the actual people coming or can, is that something that you can help them with to try to find some folks where they have to know the people? Um, they don't necessarily have to. Obviously, to start to petition for them, they would have to have identified them. Okay. Um, but I do. I would recommend, you know, if they're if they're trying to fill roles using that, we will sponsor or we will consider sponsoring for work authorization is a great start. Because, great. again, you're not obligated just because you say you're willing or you will. Like, you're not obligated to do that just because you're putting it in a job ad. But if you do put it in the job ad... That opens up the opportunity that people are going to come to you that need sponsorship. Because, frankly, you know, like I said earlier, like these people are looking for for employers that will sponsor them. And they might just ignore your job description if it doesn't include details about sponsorship because they just, you know, they think they're going to reach out and you're going to say, no, we're not sponsoring. That just seems like a huge way for someone to make like a match.com. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Seriously, like. Well, hey, if you're here <laughs> illegally, like, come to this job fair at the church, and we'll have Rebecca, um, who's going to help us process a bunch of applications. Hey, what about, um, okay, so for those sort of seasonal agriculture workers, how much do those applications, are those cheaper? Are they sort of the same per person? Um, Can I get mass? Can I apply for mass bogo. visas? <laughs> yeah, I'd like a BOGO. A BOGO. <laughs> Immigration uh. issue me BOGOs. <laughs> They're about, I would not I would say only the, the visas that really go up in price, which we're still only talking maybe 10K max, are the are the visas that are for, um, for extraordinary scientists or extraordinary businessmen where you really, they just have a high evidentiary burden. Um, so the legal fee just goes up because we're spending instead of, spending X amount of hours, we're spending triple the time really tailoring your application to show that you are, because the the criteria for this is showing that you are truly extraordinary and made novel discoveries to your field and you are like... That would make you feel really good. (laughs) Hell yeah. If you get approved. They're very fun to work with. Did your dad get one of those? He did not. He just got an (laughs) H1B. Not extraordinary. (laughs) Not extraordinary. We do try to, because they're so... Because they are more expensive and they are they have such a high evidentiary burden, we try to avoid them unless we need to use them. Gotcha. Um, but we're we you know we only the ones we pursue are usually successful. Um, That'd be a great thing to add to your resume. Mm, yeah, yeah, extraordinary, have an extraordinary visa. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so other than that, I mean, most of them range to the, in that same same price range. But again, it's it will also be very specific to. Like, if you have a particularly complicated situation, there can be added fees and such. But, um, but the you know, the range we're talking is still, you know, usually under 10K. Um, and that gets you usually a three-year kind of stint. Most visas you can, you can extend either for two or three years. And, 
there it's a lot that goes into it but it might be a really good option for those companies yeah but i mean how wonderful that you could get someone to commit in a role like that like a i don't know yeah those are really i mean three years wow well yes and and to be clear as an employer, if you get someone an H-1B visa or a L visa or a J visa for, for one, two, or three, or five years, um, you have no obligation to hire them for that long. Um, and they have no ob- obligation to work for you for that long. Um, that is just the max that the government will issue it for. Yeah. Gotcha. But you would still um, treat them as a normal employee if they're underperforming or if they choose to resign, all of those things still maintain. Exactly. Okay. The only, the, the one obligation, not the one, but the most... Um, kind of tangible one for an H-1B specifically, you do have an obligation if um, if you do terminate the employee, you just have to pay for their flight back to their last country of residence. Mm. That, I guess that seems fair. Visa yeah. etiquette. It's part of yeah. your severance. <laughs> part oh of the severance gosh. package is yeah. your flight home. Yeah. yeah. I'm breaking up with you, but I'll yeah. send you I'll in a cab. I'll send you home. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So. Uh, we had a couple of questions. Actually, we had a lot of questions for you. Um, but here's somebody who was asking, we, we get audience ratings here. Um, and we've answered one of those about how many visas we know about that. Um, specialty op- occupation, um, anything else to add on what is meant by the term specialty occupation? Um, basically just that it requires a bachelor's degree in a related field. Does that mean that if you three weeks ago hired someone with a unrelated bachelor's degree, but some experience, does that mean you can't use that position as an H-1B role? No. Um, we just have to prove that the standard kind of knowledge needed to, pre- to perform the role, to perform the duties of the role, is a bachelor's degree in a related field. Mm-hmm. Now, if you, you can have an unrelated degree and have X amount of years of experience, and that can kind of be evaluated to be equivalent to that. Mm. Um, so it's, it's more flexible than it may seem, like it has to require a related degree um but that's kind of like the formal but uh, you're an expert in standard yeah (laughs) Yeah. um this is a good one how can we how can businesses give internships to students with 18 month visas what does that process look like for the business and is there a lottery for that as well oh yeah um so internships um usually the j visa is perfect for those there's a j visa that has an intern camp category um and even a trainee category um those um, the intern is only a year, I believe, and the trainee is 18 months, maybe switched. <laughs> um, but both of those, a fairly simple process. So what we what happens then is we work with the company, but then we also work with something called a J-Visa sponsor, which they're kind of, um, I don't know, flagged by the government to, to issue this form called DS-2019, which is what you need to get the J-Visa. So they're... I guess kind of like they work with the government and represent the government, but they're not a governmental entity. So we work with them. Fairly easy application process. Um, I think the most tedious part of that is you just need to include like a training intern plan um, for how they'll grow or like how their duties will grow over that time and what they'll learn and who will help them learn. Um, And other than that, it's a pretty simple process. Isn't there an extension for STEM-related uh, college kids? Yes. So that one, if for um, students who have been on an, or who are on an F visa um, and graduate can get um, oc- optional practical yeah, training, optional. which is a year of work authorization. Okay. 
Um, if you work in a STEM field, if your degree is in a STEM field, which there's a long list that USAS has recognized as STEM fields, you're eligible up to two extra years of STEM OPT, which optional practical training. Um, That's so, pretty good. Yes. That's really great. Mm -hmm. So you could actually hire a student who just graduated, have them stay three years on OPT and STEM OPT, and have three chances at the H-1B lottery while they're go. with you. That's great. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, how about this one? This is fun. Free advice, okay? Disclaimer, <laughs> it's free advice. If you want her real legal advice, you need to call Ogletree Deacons and ask for Rebecca Reby. And pay and money. pay her, okay? <laughs> and if you want, like, really, good, like, other advice, the, the different than we're giving you, you can pay us, too. Call Leaf HR Group, and we'd love to consult. <laughs> Uh, but here's an interesting question. We have to terminate an employee on an H-1B visa. Ooh. We've given her support, PIP, job modifications, and nothing has worked. It's clearly time to move on. But I feel so terrible about it because I know it might affect her ability to stay in the country if she can't get sponsored by a new employer. Any tips? We kind of touched on this. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard. Plane ride home. Buy that you got to get them a yeah. ride home. Send yeah. your first class. <laughs> yeah. Dang. I mean, first line. Sorry, that was really insensitive. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, mean, it's the go, worst. It's one of the yeah. worst parts because we'll get even from our from our clients. We'll get they'll send us a list and they're like, "Hey, these we need to um, we need to terminate these three people. Can you please tell us the consequences for each one?" And and it's it's the worst part because you're like, you know, telling them and you're thinking about this poor person who's on visa who's gonna yeah. get terminated and gonna have to figure out a different option. Um, I will say generally. Generally, because I can't, you know, advise on this specific one, but they will generally have 60 days um, after termination to find a new employer that will sponsor their H-1B. Yeah. I mean, um, I was going to say, I think the best thing a company could do knowing that that's the case is to build a timeline for that offboarding mm -hmm. period. Maybe mm -hmm. it's not a you're terminated effective immediately, but it sounds like gave her a pit, put him on the performance. It's like, OK, let's build a 30 to 60 day plan so that we can talk about your performance, choose an end date that feels good, pay them some severance out for a period of time while they find that. But mm -hmm. maybe because then you could extend here's that what's for happening. Days. We're going to keep yeah. you on for 30 days, which mm -hmm. is abnormal, but we want to give you kind of a little advanced time to mm -hmm. start searching in addition to the 60 days that they might have. So mm -hmm. there could be some timing things that an employer could do yeah. that we might not normally do if it was a not that situation, right? Exactly. Yeah. And and there's, of course, so, so there are some additional things that go into that. For example, they have to have an I-94 covering the period. So this is when we get into the things where you really should, um, you know, contact an immigration attorney to see what time does this person actually have because mm -hmm. it could be that they actually aren't entitled to the 60 days um m most situations they would be though um yeah all yeah. right almost the last question um so any tax implications we should be thinking about if we're like ready to go we're gonna sponsor some folks for these hard to fill jobs other things we should be thinking about taxes tax wise so this is the question we get all the time and are my team is not great at answering them. But luckily, <laughs> you're like, we, now you need to call an accountant. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. No, actually, no, attorneys. <laughs> because we work with someone else who's in our firm who's just doesn't sit in our office who specializes in like expat taxes and, oh, and yeah. um, tax, visa, yeah. tax implications and stuff. So we pull him in and he's great. Um, it's just we're too like 
um, zoned in on right. the visa. Right, you're like, this is my here. specialty. When yeah. you get over here, you gotta go this guy. I can so say is when that you... for the company's tax tax. It's burden? both. He, okay. Yeah, or we, it's for yeah. the individual. It's usually it's it's the company's asking. Okay. Um, and I can say usually I'm not aware of any huge implications of hiring a visa holder. Like they're you're gonna treat them as any other employee. Mm-hmm. Um usually the tax um, kind of questions occur more when you're sending employees abroad or you're maybe, um, you may be, so if you have them on U.S. payroll, they might still need a visa even though they're not physically in the U.S. And, and that's kind of when questions can arise. Um, there's no, there's no major like red blinking right light um, tax implications from just hiring like a visa sponsored employee. So let's end this on a super positive note. Um, tell us, the brief story of you becoming a U.S. citizen. Oh, yeah. Um, so after, so we moved here the latest time in 2012. was on an H-4 from my dad's H-1B for about four years. Then went through the green card process. And then, and I was actually about to age out. I had to go on an extra interview because I had already turned 21. Luckily, there's a provision that kind of, tolls the age of children about to age out so I got my green card and then five years later um I was set to apply for um my citizenship and this is this is really an anecdote about how unpredictable um USCIS is because the um the citizenship that I have processed for some people and my mom and my dad's they've taken about nine months from start to the oath ceremony mine took a month (laughs) for no like no identifiable reason. Um <laughs> you were extraordinary. Yeah. You were extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. They so, knew it. <laughs> so no, it was super so I, I submitted the application, got to go to the interview, got to take the oath. It was a little I didn't get the the big grand oath ceremony because it was COVID. Um oh, but I got a link to, to Biden's video. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so now so you're recent yeah so that happened over congratulations thank that's you wonderful. Yeah. thank you yeah so, it is it's awesome yeah. I mean, really you've great. seen like since being a three-year-old kid coming to the u.s for the first time mm. being on several different dependent visas and now being a chapel hill grad an immigration attorney for one of the best immigration firms around um congratulations to you i'm super proud of you thanks it makes me really cry <laughs> I know it's really great. Uh, it's really cool. I know. I do have to. I have to like kind of take a second sometimes and be like, I have my U.S. passport. Like I have, you know, it's done. I don't have to worry about like visas expiring mm-hmm. or anything like that. Um, and that's you know that's why I love my job too because I get to like help that make that happen for other people too. So, Aww. any last minute thoughts? No, thanks for all the education. Super, yeah. I was excited advice. on this one just to like learn. I didn't have any questions because I'm like, <laughs> I don't know anything. <laughs> if you have any potential H-1B visa candidates, um, act fast because the, the registration opens March 1st. Yeah. So. Open those hard to fill jobs. Get them posted. Let people know you're willing to sponsor. Get in touch with Rebecca Reby. Tell them how to get in touch with you. Yes. Um, you can email me at Rebecca.Reby at OgletreeDeacons.com. Um, I'm also on the Ogletree Deacons webpage. I have a LinkedIn. Um, cool. All the ways. All, All the, the ways. ways. <laughs> and make sure if you have any HR consulting needs that you're giving Leith HR Group a call, um, check out WorkTalk on WorkTalk.com. It's our very own proprietary HR technology employee engagement app. Um, and thank you so much for tuning in. Rebecca, thanks for being here. And ladies, thank you as always. Thank, thank, you. You. thank you. All right.